numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? I don't know whether you know this or not, but it's fall. Did you know that? It started last Monday, I think. And it's been a great week of fall around here in the mid-90s and record-breaking heat. But it is fall, and fall means, one of the things that that means is starting soon, like next week, so uh, these fall breaks really start kind of getting in high gear around here with Sumner and Davidson and Robertson, and you know, fall break's uh, something new. When I was growing up, we didn't have fall break, we had spring break, we didn't have fall break, but we love it as a family, it gives us a chance to get away usually, just the six of us to do something fun, and a few years ago, we went to Gatlinburg. How many of you have been to Gatlinburg? Wow, that's a lot of you, right? It's just east of here. We did all the Gatlinburg things. You know, we ate at the Apple Barn. We, uh, we ate at Dixie, Stampede, Dolly's, eat with your hands and watch people fight for your side kind of event. And we, we went into shopping at the outlets and to the, you know, went all over the place. And one of the things that we did that we had wanted to do was we went to the Titanic exhibit. Has anybody ever, anybody here been to the Titanic in Gatlinburg or somewhere else? When we went to the Titanic, it's fascinating to us, you know, probably more to Susan and I than the kids, but we get to choose one or two things to do. We went to the Titanic exhibit, and um, I, I remember as we were going in, they were handing out cards. And I don't know if you've been to it when they've done this, but one of the things that they've done at sometimes is that they will give you cards of people that were on the boat, and you're supposed to find out what happened to your person. And so it was October, and... Uh, during the month of October, because it's Pastor Appreciation Month, by somebody named it that. I don't know who, but I'm, I, that's good, I guess. All right. And so I, w- I went, and they had a special deal. And when you're in Gatlinburg, any deal you can get, because they don't give stuff away for cheaply in Gatlinburg. I went up and said, "Hey, it's." I saw there was a deal, Pastor Appreciation Month, and they said, "Well, you're using this other deal. We can't double up the deals, no." But she said, "Knowing that, I want to give you a special person." And so she handed me the card, and she handed me the card of this man. This is John Harper. John and his daughter, this is a picture taken for them not long before they left to go on the Titanic. John Harper was a Scottish pastor. He was a widower. His wife had died because of complications from childbirth. And he was on his way to America to preach for an extended stay at the Moody Church in Chicago. Still a great church. Started by Dwight L. Moody. It was a great church with lots of history. And he was coming to preach for an extended period. He had done that the year before. But he was coming to preach in view of a call to be their next pastor. 
And as he's traveling with his daughter, his daughter was six at the time, and they're traveling, everything's going well. They're also traveling with an aunt who would kind of become a caretaker for the girl in the time that uh, since the mom had passed away. And as they're on the boat coming, you know the story, right? I'm not spoiler alert about the Titanic here. Uh, Titanic sunk, right? And as the boat starts to sink, John Harper was instrumental in trying to get people to the lifeboat. And because he was a widower, he had a right to get on a lifeboat with his daughter. But he put her on there with the aunt and said, I'm not getting on. He then went and began to run through the halls of the Titanic. Anybody he came in contact with, he asked, are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And he began to go from person to person, passionately telling others about their need for salvation. And as he ran, he could be heard yelling in the midst of that when nobody was around, to the lifeboats, women, children, and unsaved people, get in the lifeboats. When the ship sank, Harper was in the water. And the stories have been told that while he was in the water, he was swimming from person to person, asking if they'd ever been saved. One man told him no. The first time, Harper then said to him, well, take my life vest, because if I don't make it, I know where I'm going. If you don't, I know where you are. Harper gave him his life vest, swam to another place, and began to continue to tell people about Jesus. Four years later, at a Titanic survivors meeting in Ontario, Canada, People were sharing their stories and one man stood up and said, I've got a story to tell about John Harper. He said, he swam up to me while we were in the waters and he shared Christ with me, the story of Jesus, and I rejected it. And he swam away and then he came back a second time. And he said, the second time he came back as I was there with the miles of ocean underneath me, freezing to death, literally I decided to accept his invitation to accept Jesus Christ. He said immediately a boat came and picked him out of the water. And as he got in, he could see the spot where John Harper had been was nothing there. He said, I'm here today to testify to the fact that I am the last convert of John Harper's ministry. I didn't know that's what I was getting when I got the card at the beginning. You know, usually, I mean, Eli got some mailroom guy that died early on in the explosion, you know. Maddie and Ava both got little girls, you know. Uh, Luke got some kind of collector guy. I mean, like, I didn't expect that emotional kind of story to be there. And I really hadn't even thought about that story until yesterday, for some reason, it came up in a conversation with Luke and Wade on our way to a cross-country event. And I thought, but what better way to talk about the urgency and the impact of sharing the gospel with one person than that kind of story? Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this question of who's your one? And we've been focusing on the fact that, yes, God works in the big. Yes, God works in the large, but he also works in the one. 
And over the last three weeks, if you've been here, you've been a part of our, our services, I've been asking you to pray about, to think about, to ask God to give you your one. And my prayer is, is that you have that by now. I know for some of us it takes a little longer and we've had to pray about it, but I hope that you've had that. And when I, last week we talked about the urgency of our calling when it comes to our one, that the eternal destination that they have in front of them ought to bring us to a sense of urgency. And today, I want us to talk about, so how do we prepare our lives to share the gospel with them? But before we do that, I want to give you something, all right? I've asked the ushers to hand out something. This is the time. They don't know. They're like, they're like sleeper agents all over. They're going to stand up now with bookmarks. You're going to get a bookmark. So they're going to pass these bookmarks out to you. And uh, you're going to see on there a couple of things as you get your bookmarks. And I'll talk about it. When you get it, hopefully you'll follow along. And then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with them, all right, after you get your bookmark. You're going to see a reading plan that goes day 1 to day 30 that will make much more sense. At the end of the service today, when you leave, you're going to get a prayer guide book that you can walk through with your one's name, praying for them every day and reading a short passage of Scripture to as God lays them on your heart. Secondly, this can be your Bible bookmark to kind of go in wherever you want it to do. You just It's always good to have a bookmark. It's got the Hoosier one on it to remind you of that every day. But at the end of it, when you've got your bookmark, hold it up so we can see where we need to. All right. Always the people in the middle. It's the Jan Brady syndrome there. All right. We're getting there. All right. On the end of it, when you get your bookmark, you will notice that there is a perforated part, right? A part you can tear off. And on there it said, who's your one? So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Sometime between now and the end of the sermon, okay, you can do it right now or you can do it right as we get towards the end of the sermon. But if God is laid, or my prayer is the person that God has already laid on your heart, who your one is, I want you to write their name there. Now, here's what I want to tell you, okay? Um, Because I want to be upfront and honest with you. I don't want you to think anything's tricking. You're going to tear that off. And at the end of the service today, we're going to have a special thing where you're going to be able to dedicate your time over the next few months praying for them. And so if for some reason it's somebody that you don't want their full name out there, we're not going to publish this anywhere, but there's going to be some time for prayer, and you want to write a first name or you want to write initials, Um, I want you to write that there, whatever it is. If you feel free just writing the name, then write it down. It's between you and the Lord, all right? But whoever it is, I want you to write it there. And at the end of the service, we're going to tear it off, and then we're going to do something with it, all right? Everybody got one? Let me see it. All right, here we go. All right, some of you are writing. Good. All right. And what I want to do today is I want to show you in the book of Acts how even in a book of Acts, the importance of one and how to share our faith. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, all right? Now here's what I want you to understand about the book of Acts. For the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, and even the first part of chapter 8, the book of Acts is a book of big, right? You remember how the book of Acts starts, right? The, Jesus ascends back to the Father. Jesus is there. He goes back to the Father. The disciples go out. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit has come upon them. They begin to preach. Do you remember how many people were saved on that first day? 
thousands, right? 3,000 people. And then it tells us that every day the church was adding to their number. And so if you're at 3,000 day one, all right, we've talked about this before. If whatever reason today the Lord descended upon this place and we added 3,000 people to the church this week, we got some issues. Amen. They're good issues. I'll welcome them. Amen. Some of you are like, uh-uh, I don't want it to be that much. Well, that's between you and God, all right? Like, I welcome that, but there'd be some issues. And so they're dealing with all that, but it's a lot of big. It's a lot of big issues, big things happening, big persecution. And then suddenly, towards the end of chapter 8, this interesting thing happens. It shifts from big to individual. And in Luke chapters, the end of chapter 8, Luke 9 and Luke 10, there are three what we call conversion stories of individuals. Ones. The one we're going to talk about today is at the end of chapter 8, Luke chapter, I mean, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 and following. And in that story, what we have is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, an outcast, somebody that would not have been welcomed fully into the Jewish faith. Chapter 9 is the most famous conversion story in the history of the world when Saul, Jesus appears to one man, Saul, and he becomes Paul. And then chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius and his household where Peter has the sheet removed and he goes and he shares the gospel with Cornelius. And all of that shows us that even in the midst of the big, the mighty, the thousands, God still cares about the one. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, says this. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official to Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What should keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the fact that you care about the one. Lord, that you care deeply about who we are and what our concerns, what our desires are, what our troubles may be. But more importantly, Lord, we are thankful that you cared enough about us, that you sent your son to die for us, 
that you cared enough about us that you gave everything you had in your Son in order that we might come to know you as our Savior and our Lord. Now, Lord, we pray that as we continue during this time of worship, as we continue in this time of looking into your Word, that you would give us wisdom about what you intend for us to do with the message that you provided for us today. That you would give us the ability to understand who in our lives needs to hear this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A couple of things we see from this passage. The first thing that I see in this passage is this. When it comes to sharing our faith, we need to always be ready. You know what's interesting about, the, about Philip here? is the introduction we get to Philip doesn't make us think he's going to be this major evangelist. He is one of the first deacons chosen. Now, it does tell us this special designation that, like the other ones, he was full of the Holy Spirit. But he was a deacon, which means he was not one of the original apostles. He was not somebody that we can tell had any other leadership roles in the church before he became a deacon. He was what we would call in our day a layman. A layman full of the Holy Spirit, somebody that's a church member, if you will, that's full of the Holy Spirit and ready to do whatever God calls him to do. What I find interesting about Philip here is if you haven't read the first part of chapter 8, which we didn't, you wouldn't know that he is being called away from something major that God is doing. In fact, and you don't have, we're not going to read it, but you can look back there. It tells us in chapter 8, starting in verse 4, that he is doing this uh, revival-like preaching, this evangelistic preaching, and the unclean spirits are coming out of people, that people are being healed, and crowds are responding to him everywhere. They were listening to him. They were being saved. A revival was literally breaking out in Samaria. And in the midst of that, God says, go. Now imagine you're in a place where God is working in a major way in your life. You're seeing people saved. Your lives are being changed. The problems they've had for years are being taken care of. And all of a sudden, out of that, God says, now step out of that, and I want you to go talk to one person. Philip had to always be ready for what the Lord was calling him to do. There are a couple of things that I think are important to what we know about Philip, what we understand from Scripture, that help us to be ready for those situations when they come. And the first is this. If you're going to be ready to share your faith with your one or anybody else that God brings into your circle of influence, the first thing you've got to understand is you have to walk with Jesus daily. This is not a pop quiz that you can study for in five minutes and be ready fully to do what God has called you to do. God expects, wants us to be consistently walking with Him. Consistently walking in the ways that He's called us to walk. Philip was ready when he heard the voice of the angel. Now, by the way, this is one of the few places. we. There are some people that say that what is similar here to the Old Testament is that Philip sounds a lot like Elijah where an angel calls and there's a chariot involved. But the point is this was different than what Philip had been doing. This was a new calling, a new direction, a new way, something he had not expect at all. And it wasn't just that he was called away from the ministry he was doing. He was called to talk to an Ethiopian eunuch. And we won't get into the full details of all of that, but this is a high-ranking official 
who would not have been a Jewish person at all, would have been someone that would have been um, forbidden from being to the inner parts of the temple. In fact, it says that he went to Jerusalem to worship. He probably only made it to the court of the Gentiles. That's the best guess. I mean, there's 99% certainty of that. And would never have been allowed anywhere else in the midst of it. And Philip would have been used to, it's fine for you to be on the outside and say you admire our God, but you're not going to be one of us. And yet... The angel says, go, and he simply goes. That comes from a life that is regularly walking with Jesus. That means daily time in prayer. That means daily time reading God's word. I think it's interesting that when he gets there, you know the story, just read it. He gets there, the guy's already reading scripture. He's not just reading any scripture. He's reading scripture about the suffering servant. God had ordained that. But Philip didn't get there and go, oh, let me check my four commentaries or call my pastor and ask him a quick question about this. Let me text Lyle and see if I can find this out. Or, hey, let me text my Sunday school teacher and see if I can figure out what's going on here. He was ready because he was part of his life. We also know from Philip's life, even the short amount that we know, that he had surrounded himself with people who held him accountable and were encouraging him in his spiritual walk. Well, how do you know that? Well, he was one of the first deacons selected. That meant he was a pretty important part of the church. He had given his life to the people of the church, to be in the church, to be around the church, to be built up by the church. And if you're going to be someone that is ready to give the most important news another person will ever hear, you have got to be consistently in a place where people can hold you accountable. And by that, I don't just mean in a worship service on a Sunday morning. I mean you need to be part of a small group within our church, a Sunday school class, a life group. You need to be part of something, some group that can hold you accountable, that can work through the word with you, that can help you understand what it means to walk with Jesus. The other thing that I see here is that Philip went exactly where he was told to go when he was told to go. There were no excuses. There was no delay. There was no worry about whether he would get it right or not. He just simply obeyed. One of the most important ways that you can prepare yourself to be ready when that moment comes, to be able to share what you need to share when it's time is, one of the most important things you can do is to simply know your story. Throughout Scripture, when it comes time to share people's faith again and again, including Paul, including um, Peter at the first disciples as they're talking to the crowds, they just simply tell the story of what God has done in their lives. And of all the things that you ought to know about your life, one of the things that for sure you need to know is what God has done for you. And so Philip gets to this place. He follows where the Lord teaches him. He's there, ready, willing, able to listen. He's interrupted from his normal daily following of Jesus to go to this one man, and he is responsive in the midst of it. Can I tell you something from personal experience? And many of you can probably back me up on this. When it comes to sharing your faith, particularly with friends or family, it rarely happens on a scheduled appointment. You can't say, hey, can I book you for 3.30 next Friday afternoon? I want to share the gospel with you that day. Hey, man, I'm just, I want you if you could pencil me in to have a gospel conversation. Can you do that? First of all, they're going to say, no, because that sounds weird, right? 
Most of the time it comes up in the flow of conversation. You've got to be ready whenever it may happen. If you, and let me just tell you this, and this will happen. If you've been praying about it, if you have legitimately written down the name of the one person, if you have been praying for that one person, if you have been asking God to give you opportunities to take conversations deeper, if you've been asking God to burden your heart about the reality of their eternal destiny without Him, if you've been asking God to give you opportunities to share your faith, then you know what's going to happen? God's going to open those doors. And many times what I think is true is that we don't recognize the doors that are open because we're concerned about just making sure we keep rapport with the people. On Wednesday nights we're going through um, how to share your faith and kind of week by week talking about something we're going to talk about in a shortened frame in just a minute. And last week we were watching a, a video from Pastor J.D. Greer, and I thought what he said was really, really good. He said, people sometimes ask, when's the right time to share the gospel? When is it the right time in a conversation, and a relationship with friends? When's the right time to share the gospel? And he said, and I think this is so true and so good and so challenging, he said, there are times that people run ahead of God and try to share the gospel before people are ready. He said, but the reality is most of the time, 90% of the time, we wait too long. We want everything perfect. Now listen, I know it's kind of crazy to do that when you're talking about Philip because this is the scenario we all want. Hey, go walk up to that chariot. Okay, I'll do that. You get to the chariot. What does this mean where a man's going to die for us? What is that? Do you know anything about that, Philip? Well, I do know something about that. It's just this is not how it happens most of the time. I don't know the last time you got called to walk up to a chariot. It's been a while for me, all right? Like, this isn't how it happened. And if you start banging on people's windows on I-65, they're going to be upset with you, right? And you may not be alive very long. We have to be ready when it comes. Here's the second thing. Share the gospel. There's one phrase in this passage. You can look at it. It's it's Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news. Anybody know what the word for good news is? The gospel about Jesus beginning with that scripture. Now, he didn't just tell him, oh, I know what that scripture means. Yeah, 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 cool, cool, that's good. All right, you can go on your way now. We talked about that scripture. He started there, and then he went wherever the man needed to go to hear the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Meet people where they are, share the story of Jesus, and tell him what he has done for them. Share the gospel. We say, well, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? What do you mean by that? What does that entail? Over the last few weeks on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about this in depth. But I want to show you, we did this a few years ago. I spray painted some things up, but I want to show it to you again. Remind you of that. Most of you don't remember what I talked about last week, much less four years ago. So this is an easy way for you to help to talk to people about what God's plan and design is. And the gospel is. It's called the three circles. The first circle is just that God designed this world to be perfect. He designed it as a paradise. He put Adam and Eve in the midst of it. He has a plan for their life. He has a plan for your life. He has plans to prosper and not to harm you. It is a plans for hope and a future. That God intended everything to be good. In fact, when God created what we see here, he looked at it and said, it is good. And we created you and me. He said it was very good. Good. But that's not the reality of our world. 
The reality of our world is that we live because of sin in our lives in a world of brokenness. We say, well, how did we get from God's design to the brokenness we see in our world? And it's not hard to tell people about the brokenness that is in the world. It's not hard for them to understand the brokenness in our world. And honestly, it's not hard for people to understand the brokenness in our lives. And here's the thing I want to tell you. That if you're here today, if you're here, and I want you to listen to me, okay, this moment. I want you to listen. If you're here today and your life is broken, you got relationships that are broken, you're guilty, you have shame in your life, you don't know how you're going to get your life together, everywhere you look around you, even though some people on the outside might look at you and think, man, they've got it together, you know you don't. And things about talking of things like eternity or singing songs about Jesus either make you uncomfortable or make you question And you're wondering, why is there brokenness in my life? It's because of the fact that you and I, all people that have ever lived on the face of this earth, except for one, chose to walk away from God's plan and to do our own thing. And that sin has caused complete brokenness. And the reality is, without a solution to the brokenness in our lives, we are destined to not only live a lifetime of brokenness, we are destined to live an eternity of brokenness. But there is a solution, and that's the gospel. And the gospel is simply this, that Jesus took your punishment in your place for you. He died on the cross for our sins. He lived a perfect life, and at the end of that perfect life, he was arrested and condemned of a crime he did not commit. But ultimately, he didn't die for that crime. He died for yours and mine, the sins that we have. And when we choose to believe this and repent, repent's just a good church word that means to turn away from our sin and trust Jesus alone. When we choose to repent and believe in the gospel story, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, God in the flesh who died for our sins and rose again from the grave on the third day, when we choose to that, then God will restore and help us to go after and pursue his design for our lives. It's a simple way to share an eternal truth. Now, if you didn't get all that written down, when you leave today, we're going to actually give you a couple of things. One of the things that we're going to give you is a prayer guide that has uh, what we talked about that will go along with the bookmark that has scripture readings and a prayer every day for 30 days for your one to asking God to do things. And then we're also going to give you this, which is just this whole story put into this, okay? Now, when you're talking to somebody, that moment comes up and you realize, oh, I think I could talk to them about the gospel. This isn't a moment to say, one second, let me go back to the house and get that little piece of paper and we got at church and do that. But it's a great resource for you to be able to have. This ought to be something you can draw on a napkin to show people. So you're willing, you're able, you're ready, you're always prepared. When the opportunity comes, you share the gospel. And then here's the last thing, and we see this in this passage. You ask them to respond. You ask for a response. You say to him, is now the time that you would like to give your life to Jesus? The amazing thing about the gospel is it is not complicated. It is easy. But the ramifications are eternally significant.
Philip says to him, he looks at the guy and says, can I just get baptized now? There's a lake. Philip says, sure, let's go do the baptism now. They baptize him. And from what we know, now legend has it, this is in the scripture, but legend has it that this guy went back to Ethiopia, began to serve, began to tell, and conversion started to happen around in Africa because of this man. Whatever the case is, we know that this one man responded. Here's the conviction behind this whole entire series. It's simply this. That God has placed people in your life that He has placed them there that you can share the gospel with them. You. Not the church, although we'd be glad if they came here to talk to them about it. Not me as your pastor, although if you and I, if I were in a conversation, I'd be glad to do that. But you. What's amazing is that in the book of Acts, all of these things happen. Now, some of them happen through Peter. Some of them happen through Paul, obviously. But there are a lot of acts throughout the book of Acts that happen outside the church and are done by what we would call lay people, church members today. It's simply because they were willing and able when the moment came to do what God called them to do. And my question for you is simply, are you willing? To share with your one. Let's pray together.